An apparition has stalked the Congress party for nearly four decades now, in the process of diminishing it from 414 seats, that was 1984, in the looks about to 52 now, 52 in 2019, which was an improvement over 44 in 2014. The building of the Ram Temple gave the party a Ram given, God given, we'd say Ram given opportunity to shake it off, to shake off that apparition. The Congress leadership blew it. So what is this apparition? This apparition is the party's ideological confusion over how it defines secularism today. Obvious questions follow after its refusal to attend the consecration ceremony of the temple. One, does its unchanging post-1996 ideology harmonize with the needs of its electoral politics today? Second, how does it manage the contradiction of welcoming the Supreme Court judgment on the temple and yet staying out of its opening, which will be celebrated by hundreds of millions of Hindus, tens of crores of Hindus, many of these, many of these committed voters of the Congress party. What will you tell your voters now, Hindus, Muslims and secularists? The Hindus might see you as sullen losers yo-yoing between welcoming the Supreme Court verdict on the one hand and your old quote-unquote Muslim appeasement. The Muslims know you failed to protect the mosque, welcome the temple verdict and now seek their favor by not attending the inauguration. For the hard secularists, you failed the day you welcomed the Supreme Court's temple mosque order. All three categories of voters might see you as hypocrites. The party, the Congress party has had decades to finish this. Its biggest failure lies in the fact that its internal debate, if there's been any, has been muddled. For all these decades, the party has been waiting like the hapless pigeon sitting with its eyes shut, hoping the cat will not see it. Just because the pigeon can't see the cat, the pigeon thinks the cat can't see it. You know that, you know that story. A pigeon waiting to be preyed upon with its eyes closed, it's a cruel description, you might say. But unfortunately, it fits a party so complacent even after the disaster of 2014 that it did not see the threat to its existence unless it sorted out its, its fundamental ideological positions. Until it does so, they will be threat to its existence. It cannot counter it. By this time, the party should have known that the Modi Shah BJP had redefined the national contest around three clear issues. Number one, culture, which is also read as religion, culture or religion. Number two, identity, which is also read as nationalism. And third, security, both national security and personal and family security. On each of these, the Congress has looked lost, waiting for the other side to make the first move. Nobody defeats a strong incumbent by merely being reactive, not offering an alternative vision. Just by being reactive, you cannot, you cannot unseat a well-entrenched, strong incumbent. You have to offer an alternate vision. That vision, that vision has to be on these three key issues we just listed. It can't be the rupees 6,000 a month, free power, free bus rides, free this and free that. You can't fight issues that tug at the people's hearts with ideas that are purely transactional. How much more money, how much money or freebies are a fair exchange for my God, my national glory or my family's security? That's a question a voter might ask. The truth is, on each of these three, the Congress's record has not been that bad. The Congress's own record has not been a cipher. 
It is just that it's unwilling to talk about it. It was under a Congress government that the locks of the temple of Atayodhya were opened so prayers could begin. Rajiv Gandhi's government and the ritual foundation laying shilanyas became possible. Rajiv Gandhi launched his 1989 campaign from, from Ayodhya, promising to usher in the Ram Rajya. If he was overcorrecting after what he saw as missteps that were, that were viewed by Hindus as Muslim appeasement, like the law to reverse the Shah Mano judgment and the ban on Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses, it only reminds us that this ideological contradiction is a chronic one it, and it goes back a long time. Both Jawaharlal Nehru and Indira Gandhi had great clarity on this in their own different ways. Nehru was agnostic, acknowledged as such and in his era could get away with staying away from religious politics completely while also systematically purging his party of all these stalwarts of the Hindu nationalist right. Otherwise, the Congress party was a big tent where the Hindu right also existed. Nehru systematically got rid of all of them. In contrast, Indira Gandhi wore her Hinduness around her neck, sometimes on her sleeve, her wrist, everywhere. On her forehead, she, she wore her Hinduness with pride. Around her neck, she wore the Rudrakshmala. She held pujas. She was never going to seed the Hindus, the Hindus to the Janasang. She was never going to cede the Hindus to the Janasang. Janasang is the BJP's parent. That's why she never attacked the Janasang as a Hindu party. She merely called it a Banya party, a trader's party, and hailed Savarkar as a Veer. She wrote a letter to Savarkar, Savarkar's family calling him a Veer. She made a personal contribution to a library being set up with his works, with Savarkar's works. A Congress government even issued a commemorative postal stamp in the memory of Savarkar, which stamp called him Veer Savarkar. So she knew that she was never going to concede this ground to the Jansang. The Jansang did not own India's Hindus in her worldview. Banias, she called them a Banya party. Banias, in any case, are too scattered, not really a vote bank anywhere which can hurt a party. She also knew she had no challenger for the Muslim vote. The confusion started after her. One of the things really working for Modi now, as underlined during the recent assembly polls, is the idea that he is enhancing India's global image. We just dealt with the religion issue and how the Congress governments have handled it in the past. So we have now come to the second one, that is India's global image. So one of the things that worked for Modi in these recent elections was the idea that he is really enhancing India's global image. The Congress did not do so badly on this count under Nehru. Indra and even Rajiv. Why it won't talk about it is intriguing. Possibly because it doesn't want to also talk about the two non-Gandhi prime ministers who followed. After all, even Narsimha Rao, even Narsimha Rao got to address the joint session of US houses, the, the two American houses. It is easy to mock Modi for his almighty personality cult, the culture of psychophancy around him. A voter will however ask, what is the problem if in the process my country's stock is also rising? Do you have an alternative that might, might work even better? That's the question the voter will ask you. Voters need alternatives, new ideas. The voter will not vote against somebody they voted into power. They will not vote against that leader just because you have scorn over him. You offer him a better idea. You offer him or her a better idea. On national security, third point, on national security, Modi has a pretty good record. 
especially on the internal dimension. There's been no significant terror attack out of outside of Jammu and Kashmir since his rise, except the Pathankot Air Base, and that also is next door to that's the gateway to Jammu and Kashmir. Except the Pathankot Air Base, there hasn't been a major terror attack anywhere in India outside of Jammu and Kashmir since the rise of Narendra Modi as Prime Minister. And there is definite improvement in law and order in some of the BJP ruled states, especially Uttar Pradesh. And that's being rewarded by the voters. That is where the security of my family comes in because the voter is also looking at the security of their families. That is also a line that Modi had used often in Gujarat that all of whatever anybody says to you is fine. But do you think that your family members coming home late evenings are safe? So family security is an important thing. The Congress, however, is not even willing to say how firmly, even brutally, its governments have put down challenges to internal security. And I'm not going as far back as Indira Gandhi even. One challenge the Congress faces is that it would involve praising P.V. Narsemarao, who inherited the Kashmiri and Punjab Sikh separatist insurgencies at their peak and crushed them within 1991 to 1993. People give him credit for economic reform, but people forget that in the same years, he also fought quite, quite, I'm again using that expression very carefully and very deliberately and cautiously and some with some degree of uh, equanimity. Uh, he crushed them and he fought them with a degree of brutality between 1991, 1993. This Congress does not even make enough room for Rajiv Gandhi's successes. Forget Narsim Rao. This Congress does not even make room for Rajiv Gandhi's successes in Assam, Mizoram, and the near success in Punjab with the accord is signed with Sant Harchan Singh Longowal. Now, who was Longowal? Who was he, you might ask. If you are a Congress voter or a well-wisher, you might wish to Google. Because the party leaders won't tell you. They've forgotten all of that. For reasons I have never been able to understand, the Rajiv era is marked by the same forgetfulness they deserve for both Rao and Manmohan Singh. I can't understand why. Or they would be telling you all the time how the national growth rate was higher under these governments than in the past nine years. They won't tell you. At least they won't tell you often enough or forcefully enough. The Congress, therefore, is beset with several contradictions. Who does it want to invoke from its past and who does it want to denounce? Where does it stand on Kashmir and on the issue of Article 370? Does it accept the changes that the Modi government made or will it reverse them if elected to power? All of these are important, but the most critical is where do they stand on the temple by implication on Lord Ram? Wouldn't it be better to join the celebrations with the vast Hindu majority while at the same time criticizing Modi, BJP, Modi slash BJP slash RSS for politicizing it? It wouldn't be the perfect option, but enormously better than looking like that one proverbial thin-skinned fretful uncle, Pupaji as we say in Hindi, that fretful uncle who throws a tantrum at every wedding. As they say, as we say in Hindi, there's always that fretful uncle who's sitting, sitting in a corner with a swollen face because, because his ego is hurt about something. That said, a small announcement for you. You might have noticed that occasionally uh, I record videos and I share them with you about personalities I might have met, I might have reported on, I might have interviewed, I might have known. These are all interesting, significant, important personalities of our times and our era. 
earlier this week, for example, I shared with you something on Balasab Thakre. That was because that is when the Maharashtra Speaker, Assembly Speaker, took a decision on which one did he think was the real Shiv Sena. The plan is that I will do this occasionally, every every now and then, as an as an occasion arises. So, in fact, this Saturday, that is January 13, is the death anniversary of one of our most celebrated soldiers. That is. Lieutenant General J.F.R. Jacob. It's his sixth death anniversary and I thought it might be a good time for me to tell you some stories about him that you will see published later on Saturday. Please don't miss it. And there will be more such coming up every now and then and I will keep alerting you.